Well, what a blessing to um, continue on for our Sunday school class. We've recently just begun to have the adult Sunday school class in little modules, as it were, like little, you know, six to ten week um, course, and then we'll take six to ten weeks off and then come back to the next topic. And we're in the middle of this class, and I made it ultra basic, how does God save us? Because if I gave the Latin, the Ordus Salutis, that would be a little scary at first, I think, for some. But uh, Ordus Salutis is the Latin for the order of salvation. And it's not that we're like ticking boxes, I've done these first two or whatever, but it's, it's a way that theologians see how, um, how does God save us. And it begins in what? Eternity, right? With election and predestination. Then there's that effectual call where the gospel goes forth and God, by his spirit, opens up your heart and you're able to respond to the gospel call. That's called the effectual calling. Um, it's effectual because when God actually calls, you can't resist it, right? We believe in irresistible grace. And then at that same time, there's regeneration, newness of life coming in to the center, and then conversion. And then last time, Aaron looked at justification, and I'm going to give a brief review on that. And today we come to adoption, being adopted into God's family. Some of these things are instantaneous. Some of them happen in an instant. Other things like next time is sanctification. That's our whole life, right? From where we're effectually called, regenerated, converted, justified in the court of heaven, those things happen like almost interchangeably. We're adopted into the family of God and then sanctified throughout our entire life. And then the last two we'll look at is perseverance. How does God keep us? How does he not lose us? And then glorification, right? When we go to be with him. So let me open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word. We thank you for our youth and our elementary age as well, even as those are not just times of games, but instruction from your word. Lord, we pray that your word would be effectual in our young people's lives. We pray that your word would be effectual even in our own lives, even now, as we consider this glorious topic of adoption. In Jesus' name, amen. So justification is a very important doctrine to understand and to um, not get wrong, right? Uh, Martin Luther said justification is the article by which the Christian church uh, stands or falls. It's, it's very key, right? Um, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church, which I was, I wouldn't say brought up in, but like that was my only church experience I had, until my adult years, it's justification plus works. Like they, they would say they believe in justification, but you also have to do good works, whereas justification is an act of God's free grace. Um, and the issue, the central issue for all religions is how can I be right before a just and holy God? Romans 8, 33 and 34, it's in a judicial context. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Um, justification is not a change in us, but a verdict about, about us. 
It's the act of uh, justifying God, acting as judge upon us and declaring us righteous. And the idea of imputation is the idea to impute to one's account. It's like if I was to give $400 to Susan's account and her checking account, because I'm giving her husband $400 later today for something, but uh, uh, imputing it to her account. If I was to deposit it to the bank with her account number, it would be imputed to her account, and that's the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That's how God can justify us. So, and let's come to the topic of adoption. Adoption. When we are justified, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 talks about that. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace in the world is fragile. It only lasts until the next enemy comes along to stir up strife or bring non-peace. It only lasts until the next conflict comes. But peace with God lasts forever. Conflict can never erupt again. You can not upset God so much that suddenly you are his enemy again once you've been justified and adopted into his family. He is committed to the welfare of his children. What was the chief legacy that Jesus left his disciples and us by implication? When he died, was there a bunch of possessions that we had to split up, his library? You know, which scrolls do you want? Which scrolls do you want? You know, I want that outer garment. What... what what legacy did he live? He, he leave. He did not leave possessions to be divided up. But in, he says in John fourteen, "Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you." Adoption as God's act is an eternal process of His gracious love. It says in Ephesians one five. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Some erroneously teach, you'll hear in in different places and different churches, the universal fatherhood of God. We're just all God's children after all, right? And you'll hear that type of thing. In a sense, we're all created in his image. But to truly be a child of God means that you are in saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And every single person in this world are not in saving relationship to Christ. You see, God does not choose to be our foster parent. Everybody knows what a foster parent is? I was a foster child for about a year. Our Emily, who we have adopted, was a foster child first before we chose to adopt her. But the thing with foster children is if we're foster children, it's typically temporary in nature. It's for a limited amount of time. You run the risk, if you're really rebellious, to be booted out and to end that, right? And so if you mess up, you go too far. But we, as the children of God who are truly in Christ, we don't have to stress day to day, am I going to be good enough or, or, or is God going to have enough with me and just kick me out of that God's house, as it were? No, his never-ending kindness to us is that he has made us a permanent part of his family. It can never be 
switched off. It can never be changed. As one man has said, he has signed the adoption papers with his own blood. It can't be revoked. It can't be changed at all. John Murray, one of the early Westminster professors, said adoption, as the term clearly implies, is an act of transfer from one alien family into the family of God himself. This is surely the apex of grace and privilege. You think of that from some alien family being transferred to God's family. The disciples were given instructions to pray. And how does it begin? Our Father. Do you ever think about that? Our Father. It's because we are in the family of God. It's because we are His children that we can address Him as Father. Spiritual adoption is the apex of God's salvation. One Dutch uh, theologian, uh, Abrakel, said this about adoption. From being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God. From being a child of wrath to become the object of God's favor. From being a child of condemnation to becoming an heir with all the promises and a possessor of all blessings. And to be exalted from the greatest misery to the greatest felicity. This is something that exceeds all comprehension and all adoration. So, the doctrine of adoption. Let's talk about it a little bit. The, the giving uh, of any one the name and place and privileges of a son who is not a son by birth. That would be a, a definition for adoption. We see adoption in the Bible, just real like physical, natural adoption, right? Remember when Moses, out of fear for a pharaoh, um, Moses' mother puts him in this uh, basket with, with uh, pitch and tar on it so it wouldn't sink and sends it up the river, and who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter, right? And so there's, there was a, she uh, adopted Moses into her family. I've already given the illustration of even our own daughter and all those other people that you know that have been adopted. Um, but also there's national adoption. God speaks of the people of Israel as, you are my chosen nation. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. There's this choosing, this selecting, this prizing and treasuring. That's the analogy of a national adoption. And then spiritual, the act of God's grace by which he brings men into the number of the redeemed family and makes them partakers of all the blessings which he has provided for them. I love to, to think of how justification relates, relates to our adoption, and Gordon Cook, um, and this simple quote makes it clear, justification is conceived in terms of the law. Adoption is conceived in terms of love. Justification sees God as judge. Adoption sees God as father. So you see how those beautifully relate together. 
Now, I want to, if you have a copy of the 1689 Confession, or can pull it up on your phone, if you want to do that, we're looking at chapter 12. Um, It is one of the chapters of the Confession that only has one paragraph to it. And so I'll read it in its entirety, and I'll unpack a little bit of this before we move on. Chapter 12 of Adoption. All those who are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken out of the number to enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, to have His name put upon them, to receive the spirit of adoption, to have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as by a Father. And yet, they are never cast off, but sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of the everlasting salvation. Now, it's just a really basic sentence there, but it's just packed so full for us. What does it mean to vouchsafe? That's an unusual word. Susan, you probably know. Uh, No no pressure. Okay, something like that, yeah. To grant something in a gracious or condescending manner. And so when it says here that, that all those that are justified, God vouchsafed, right? He, he condescended to us. Galatians um, 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice it says, in and for the sake of His only Son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss this truth. We benefit to be adopted into the family of God. Yes and amen. But also Christ who benefits here because it's in and for the sake of His Son, in the Gospel of John, you see several times there uh, that all that the Father gives me shall come to me, right? There's this, uh, this group of people that the Father has allotted for the Son to redeem and to call in time and space. There's a p- specific group of people that the Father gives the Son, and the Father and Son had agreed upon this transaction in eternity past. Again, as Paul says, predestined, chosen from beforehand to, to, for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. Now, the blessings and privileges of adoption are, are numerous. This spirit of adoption, let's turn to Romans 4. It's a familiar passage, of course. Maybe Andrew could read that nice and loud. Uh, Romans 8, rather, verse 14 to 17. Uh, 14 to 17.
received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. That spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, wasn't there some 60s mellow rock band named Abba? Anybody remember that? Is that what he's talking about? <laughs> My wife says she remembers. No, Abba, is the, this is the idea. It's the Aramaic word for father, Abba, Father. It's a term of close nearness, not a rock band. <laughs> uh, in the Gospel of John, Uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. So those that receive Christ, um, he gives the right to become children of God, and it's those who believe in his name. And look at how they're, they're born. Who were born not of blood, right? It's not national heritage, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not by your own doing nor the will of man, but are born of God. Uh, The confession goes on that we have access to the throne of grace. John Owen says that's one of the biggest blessings that we receive in the new covenant, to have access to God. Remember all the, the tabernacle, and remember the holy of holies. The high priest could go in only once a year to represent the people And now that curtain has been torn from top to bottom, and we have free access to God 24-7. No longer going through a high priest or or other mediators, but we have direct access. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. But then look at these graces here. They're pitied, they're protected, they're provided for, and even chastened. Part of being in the family, it's like when you're adopted into our family, there was times where our adopted daughter needed to be chastened, part of the blessings of being in in this home, right? And so this idea of being pitied, pity is not a bad thing. What it's speaking of is divine compassion, like you see in Psalm 103 and verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fears him. <clears throat> this idea provided Psalm 37, I have been young and now I am old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. But as I said, this other idea of being chastened, right? We're pitied, protected, provided for. He meets every one of our needs because we're in his household. Um, none of the children in our home has ever gone hungry. We've always provided for them. Um, physically, spiritually, and all of that, and so too for us in the family of God. But along with that, those whom the Lord loves, he what? Yeah, chastens, disciplines, yeah. And so that Hebrews 12 passage, well, I can turn there just to uh, give us a little bit more of that section My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, 
He disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And it goes on to verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the result of adoption is that we have transformed relationships. First and foremost, us with God, right? And in a sense, with each person of the Holy Trinity, a transformed relationship. We're now adopted into the family of God, but also with one another. Let me read um, this quote from um, the ISBE, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It is an aspect of the same experience that Paul describes elsewhere under another legal metaphor, justification by faith. According to the latter, God declares the sinner righteous and treats him as such and admits him into the experience of forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. In all of this, the relation of father and son are undoubtedly involved, but in adoption, it is emphatically emphasized. It is not only that the prodigal son is welcomed home, glad to confess that he's not worthy to be called a son, and willing to be made as one of the hired servants. But But he is embraced and restored as a son before. The point of the metaphor is this. Justification is an act of a merciful judge setting a prisoner free. But with adoption, it's an act of a generous father taking the son to his bosom and endowing him with liberty, favor, and a lasting heritage. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, I commend it to all of you. Simple short quote, Sonship must be the controlling thought, the normative category at every point. See, sonship, you can't help but to remember that you have a Father in heaven. Every day we're reminded with this. If you begin... In the Word, read a chapter and then pray, Our Father who art in heaven. I mean, the family of God. It's it's a controlling thought that's always before us. Christ Himself is the best proof of this grand truth, of this uh, unique, transformed uh, relationship. This unique filial relationship even He had with His Father was controlled by how he lived and how he thought. Think of uh, John 5.30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The controlling thought of his mind is I'm on a mission. My Father has sent me, and I want to please my Father. John 10 and verse 37, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. So in other words, I've come to do the works of my Father. John 20 and verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You, as a child of God, are to pray and to live your life in relation to your Father. Again, um, J.I. Packer, the controlling thought of our mind to consider those things. 
And then we have this future hope uh, that's part of what adoption is. And um, in Romans, going back to Romans 8 and verse 23. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, right? You think of physical afflictions and those types of things. We're groaning within ourselves, uh, eagerly awaiting the, 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 the fruition, the completion, the glorification by which we would be with Him. Philippians 3, verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into his glorious body. 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has, there's a Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So this future hope, Heirs of everlasting salvation. The promises to us is heirs. That means that we actually have an inheritance. We're, we were outcasts. We were enemies of God. right? We've been adopted into the family of God, not as temporary foster children, but as permanent children of God. And then this, this future hope that we're longing for, as he says here, as the children of God. And this is a hope that we have fixed on him that is a purifying hope for us. I take that to mean that in our sanctification, right? That, that encourages us. It helps us to persevere unto the end. We have this hope. Hope in the future motivates obedience and Christian living today. Any thoughts or comments before I go to the last section? <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the responsibilities of adoption. This is really an application. If we've been truly adopted into the family of God, that does not mean we just lay in our bed, to use the household metaphor, not pitch in, not do any laundry, not do any dishes, not help cook. Okay, those are strange analogies, but you get the point. that There's privileges necessitate a response. Every privilege has a corresponding responsibility. And the first is this, trust your Father for your every need. And because He can be trusted, come to Him with every single one of your needs that you have. As Peter says, casting all of your anxiety upon Him because He what cares for you. Secondly, live up to our royal status, right? 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood, right? As children of God, 
there's, there's a sense that we're in a royal family. You know, all the drama that happens in England with Prince Charles and all the other stuff, uh, you know, they're in the spotlight. Guess what? You, as a child of God, there's a royal status. You're in the spotlight, and the world is looking on. If you're making a profession, live up to your royal status. Stay away from the scandals and the other type stuff. Third, we should live in childlike reverence and zeal for our Father in everything. A reverence of recognizing who He is, an altogether holy God, but in a, a zeal of drawing near and glorifying Him. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children. There's the children there again. It's amazing how many times in the New Testament we are children, you know? And it's something that maybe it's, it's repeated so much because it's so foreign to us. But to really believe that we are His spiritual children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the formal, formal lust which were yours in your ignorance. As obedient children, we don't run to, back to those things that used to ensnare us and entangle us, right? We flee from those things because we want to be obedient children. Then reflect on your Father's glory and majesty. I mean, look at that Isaiah 62. Go home and read it again. It's... It, the, God is rejoicing over His people. His people are rejoicing in Him. Reflect that glory. Meditate on that glory and majesty. And then to submit to your Father in every providence that comes. And sometimes, as I read in Hebrews 12 earlier, that comes by way of the rod. And the spiritual rod can hurt. Sometimes you'd say, give me the physical rod instead, Lord. I can endure the pain with the spiritual rod by which He is training us and molding us and not giving us any peace until we turn from that error or that way. Submit to Him because those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. It's His great love. It's a reflection of His great unconditional love to us that He would do that for us. And then remember that we are image bearers, and so to obey and imitate our Father, to strive to be like Him, to be holy as He is holy, to be loving as He is loving, we must be image bearers who show and bear the family likeness. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter Carissa was here, came down after their other church, was in town, and was visiting around, and, and, and now that Carissa's 25, and, and she's got the same beautiful hair as my dear wife, it's like from a distance, or, or, or you know, from, from not way up close, but there's such similarity between my wife and my daughter, they look alike. Others see that resemblance and comment on it often. That's what we are to be with God. We are to be like Him, like Christ. There should be a resemblance. It shouldn't be white and black. It shouldn't be, and I don't mean races, you know what I'm saying. There should be a, a, a resemblance. There's a reflection. Those um, communicable attributes, those that there are some that are incommunicable, that are for God only, that we can in no way um, <laughs> reflect, but those communicable ones where we can love, we can show mercy, we can be compassionate. Those types of things. 
So, all that to say, as we think about the order of salvation, it would almost be, it's, it, we could still rejoice in the order of salvation if there was no adoption. Right? Just think about it with me. Election, the effectual call, regeneration, justified in the court of heaven, now work out that sanctification in your whole life, but instead, nestled right in between, is that idea that now that you've been justified, you're adopted into his family. And knowing that royal status that you have now as you would move to logically into sanctification, that is a motivator. I'm in that royal family to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And it's even in the midst of that working out and sanctification by which he enables us to persevere. So praise God for this doctrine of adoption. It's all through the Bible. We've just looked at a couple dozen verses of children and adoption of sons. Abba, Father. It's everywhere there. Without it, none of us could stand before a holy God. We are sealed by His Spirit. And the Bible knows nothing of somebody being in Christ today and out of Christ tomorrow. There's, there's, there's nobody that is sealed in the Spirit today that is unsealed tomorrow. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's as good as done. You have been sealed. Any final comments or thoughts before I close? Jennifer? Yep. <clears throat> so you make a really good point. It's like when the rubber meets the road and we get through the mundane of Monday through Friday or whatever, like we're relishing in this truth today, but how... Can we keep that before us and and living as the poor, you know, the foster children or whatever? Or really, we're living like practical atheists because we're forgetting the very truths that we profess on one day. So, what are ways that we can remind ourselves of this day by day? Okay, the word. Yep, Lindy got it right. Right, staying close to the the Word of God, staying close to the Lord Himself. Children, you are no longer 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that's uh, excellent, Steve. Um, you know, we're no longer strangers and aliens. We're part of the household of God. There it is again. This adoption into a a household and. Um, and the more that we're under the means of grace, like even just this class, hopefully throughout the week we're thinking about these or the order of salvation as, as we're going about our day. But also, you know, there's so many opportunities to where like the men will meet this Tuesday night where the men encourage each other, right? We're studying the uh, epistle of James and you know, you come away from that again, reminded of the great truths of God. The ladies have their study, our community groups are me. Like, there's opportunities through the week that why would you starve yourself? You know, where you could feast on this book even all the more. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Floor? That's <laughs> true. Good point. Good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good. Uh, I like what you said there. The the idea that okay, a good benevolent God. When we really understand what hell is and what our sin deserves, a good benevolent God could have redeemed us and just made us slaves, right? And and we would still be all the better for it, right? But instead, it's this familial connection where we're called to his table, where we're really in his family, where we really are heirs according to the promise. Who can wrap their head around that? I like that analogy that you just said. That should be fuel for the fire for each of us this week. It's sort of remembering our adoption that I'm not a slave. I'm in the family. I'm an heir. Oh, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It's because we're adopted in that family of God that we want to just dedicate our lives. Remember, slave, you know, in, in the Old Testament, when they took the, uh, whatever that's called, in the ear, no, yeah, all, yeah, was what? Just lifelong devotion and service. So when the Bible talks about us being slaves, that's, that's, the, that's the analogy, that we are fully and completely sold out to him. All right. Thank you all for coming. Let me close us in prayer. We can continue to fellowship. Father, we thank you for this short little class on the Ordus Salutis and that we could just relish, really, on this topic of adoption. Lord, remind us throughout the week of our um, blessed, privileged position before you as your child. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.